there really is no separation between business and marriage and family issues. They all affect the other. But you can only get help on one side or the other, whether it's marriage counseling or business coaching or consulting, right? But never the two shall meet. In a world where the grind of entrepreneurship often overshadows personal life, one man has made it his mission to harmonize the hustle with heartfelt home life. Welcome to Seat Go Create, where today we're chatting with Robert Fakui, co-founder of I-61 Inc., a visionary who's redefining the entrepreneurial journey. Robert is a marketing maestro with a track record of skyrocketing sales for giants like Coca-Cola and Novartis. Alongside with his wife, Kaylee, He's crafted a lifeline for married entrepreneurs drowning in the sea of business demands. With their innovative program, Power Couples by Design, and their book, Tandem, I just finished reading that, they are lighting the path to a world where thriving marriages and prosperous businesses are not mutually exclusive, but mutually empowering. Listeners, buckle up as we explore the secrets to scaling your business without sacrificing your most valuable asset, your marriage. Let's get to the heart of what it means to lead with purpose, both in the boardroom and the living room. Robert, welcome to Seat Go Create. Hey, Tim. Hey, thanks. You know what? I'm going to have to use that intro as my bio. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Good. I do that for sure. You can do that. Yeah, I was working on that some. That and the pronunciation of your last name. I've been working on that for some time. Yeah, which, which one took longer? <laughs> I think the pronunciation of the last name, but anyway, oh, hey, Robert, let's pretend we just bumped into each other. We've done some things. We've been guests on your podcast and you and I've chatted about some things, but let's pretend we just bumped into each other. You just came from a conference this last weekend or you're on a plane or something. And I ask you what you do. What do you tell people when they ask what you do? Yeah, sometimes I wonder, but we're basically, or I'm basically a business consultant with an interesting twist. So we re- helped married entrepreneurs create greater work-life balance. That's the crux of it. But within that is how do we help the entrepreneur win both in their business and in their marriage? Sometimes they, we operate in silos, and unfortunately, we feel like we have to lean towards one side or the other. And so we just help them do both better, basically. All right. So you and I have talked a while back, and you know that my wife and I, for 35 years-ish, have been essentially attempting to do this that you and Kaylee talk about and y'all been doing this for some time. Why, why is the marriage relationship such a big deal, especially when we're talking about entrepreneurs and business owners? You just, if even when you talk about in a business context, it's all about relationships. And if you don't have relationships, we really don't have a business. You have to develop a relationship with your customers one that's long-lasting and deep so that they come back right, again and again. And then your employees, you're not just, uh, these days with the younger generation, they want more of a relationship. Even customers want a relationship with the brand. Employees want a relationship with the business, with the owner. They want to feel they're a part of something. And then go back to your marriage and your family. If you don't have them, who are you going to celebrate with? Um, the things that we remember as we get older are the memories. It's not about just the accomplishments. We'll talk about it. But really the things that drive you emotionally for the good are going to be your memories and it's going to be your spouse, your kids. And so at the end of the day, you want to really invest into them because you can still make a lot of money 
while investing in relationships first. But if you're investing primarily in your business, your relationships are going to suffer. So I guess you choose. The only way you can have both is if it's relationships first. So the, I don't know, devil's advocate or the cynical in me kind of popped up there. And I do want to say I'm in agreement with you. Obviously, I've been married and working with my wife for a while. But I'm just trying to think about the person that would say something like, yeah, but business is business. So there are plenty of examples out there of hard charging business people, probably mostly men, but probably men and women that have plowed through, been successful in business and gone through one, two, three, four, five more relationships along the way, disconnected family, but they're successful in business. How do you respond when someone says, but how important is this? Because you can really be successful without the family, can't you? Monetarily, absolutely. And you're just, as you're just example you gave, but how happy are you? Four or five marriages, and I'm sure you're probably have some people in mind when you say that, just like I do. And how happy are they, right? Just going through one divorce is just excruciating. I haven't been through that. But I just know friends that have just one divorce is painful enough. And you go through multiple, that's just a grind. And then you've got all the complexities around, you know, having different multiple families. <laughs> it's, so it's just really, just, it's just really complex. And so really how happy and fulfilled are you versus just pouring into relationships you already have. And I think the, in my pushback is we think we can't have it all. We think we can't invest into our relationships and still grow a thriving business. And I can give you examples of that. There's that example. On the other side is where one marriage, one family, and they still have a thriving business and an enterprise. I mean, I'll just share with you, sure, as we got on the call that we're just at the Family Business Magazine conference and examples of six generations of families in the business. And some of them are doing better than others, but there's the ones that are just thriving and they're family enterprises, which means they have multiple uh, multi-million dollar business as well as all the assets and they're thriving relationally. There was, was one a guy on a panel last week and it was, uh, their last name was, I won't say the last name, but it became a running joke in the conference for the whole week because they were such an example of three brothers being able to work well together, even when they were going through a buyout that they were still thriving relationally before, during, and after because they had invested into relationship up front and it really came from their dad. But so there's examples of this, the side where we can invest in relations first and still grow a thriving enterprise. I think it's good to hear stories like that because I think often, and this feeds the cynicism, we hear the stories of the ones that have the bodies littered and very similar to what you said. I think about, I even tell my wife this from time to time that I know how much, and it's in a positive way, how much work it is to be in one marriage relationship. And we've got two grown children and this is in no way judging people that have had some multiple families and things like that. I'm not doing that at all, but yeah, I can't picture how difficult it would be to deal with multiple holidays, multiple families, multiple interactions, relationships, yeah. and things like that. So I just, I like my life to be a little bit simpler if yeah, possible. Good. <laughs> Even though we know life is complicated. In fact, I think I'd love to do yeah. this now, Robert. I know that we talk about redefining success here. And I think what we try to do is we're trying to shift the mindset that some people might have that success is just making money and cars in the garage and big houses. But no, 
healthy, successful relationships and marriages. But I know that you've been through an interesting story, and I'd love for you to share a little bit of your background. We got the in the bio there, which was really cool. You said the, the marketing and the corporate work that you've had, and you've moved into being in business for yourself with Kaylee. But there's some things that you've had to redefine and some challenges, and also share some things about that, whatever you're willing to share here. Yeah, redefining success, that's the key, the key thing, because I'm sure you grew up just like I grew up where our success was defined by our accomplishments. And so I think that's where we get that, the cynicism of relationship and business, and we can't have both and all this kind of stuff. And so even though I grew up as a PK, my dad was a pastor. And, but even he, you know, he grew up with a very, very strong work ethic. He grew up on a sugarcane plantation in Hawaii. And so the family's working from the time they're young all the way through. So they definitely, he grew up with a strong work ethic, which he passed down to me. But because of that, too, even as a pastor, you know, he got so focused on the ministry and having success really was the ministry. How well was the church and the congregation doing that the family often took a back seat? And so here you are, you have a pastor, you're the shepherds of the congregation, the shepherds of the flock, yet his own, his own nuclear flock, his own family was taking a back seat. And it's no, nothing negative hit me. I know he loved us. I loved him. We had a great relationship as I got older. But it was because of how he grew up, just like you and I. And so I think that's what happens is how we define success is a lot based on how he grew up. So it wasn't just my dad's fault. He just did what he knew, right? And so I carried that with me. And so whether it was sports or in school and in my career, I wanted to succeed by checking out the boxes, getting an MVP for cross country or basketball and getting good grades, and then getting that marketing degree and getting that first job out of college was with Coca-Cola. And it was like the feather in my cap. Here I had some of my friends, you know, graduating from college and are trying to find a job, any job, let alone something within their major. And here I did both, right? It was my major and it was a great brand. So then, and then I went to the, moved into the pharmaceutical industry. And then, you know, here I am, my, my career's grown. I'm, I'm knocking on six figures and all his opportunity, even my wife at the time too, was growing in her career. Um, we had purchased our first house, got our first puppy. And you're checking the boxes, right, of success from career to even personal, but it was based on stuff, right? Accomplishment. It was the, the house, it was the puppy, whatever. Um, and then 22 years ago, though, like everything shifted where it was a week before Christmas and I kissed her goodbye. We had tandem parking in our garage down in the condo. And so I had to let her out. So I kissed her goodbye and we gave a nice hug. And then she drives away. And then literally 10 minutes from the spot I'm sitting at right now, she got in a car accident and passed away at the scene. She didn't survive the accident. I didn't know about it until that evening when I got home and the coroner was waiting for me at my door. And I'm like, what's a coroner want to talk to me about? I was just, I'm just like, I thought he was selling something at first. I'm like, what, what does he want to sell me like a plot or something? And I'm like, what? You know, he asked to come in. I, I bring him in. Come, he comes in the house and he tells me what happens. And I'm just like looking at him with this. No, I just saw her nine, 10 hours ago. I just saw her, I kissed her, I hugged her, I felt her. And so that couldn't have happened. And then she, he brings out her driver's license and says, is this her? And then all of a sudden, it just this just 
range of emotions. I don't know what they were, but it was just like stuff was flooding my head. And I'm like, it's still confused. And I'm just like, this does not make sense. Because when you think about your spouse passing, it's going to be in old age and she might be sick or something. And there's always some kind of preparation. But this was just like 100 miles to zero and nothing flat. And I'm crying, but I'm still kind of in disbelief. And so when he left, I got on the phone immediately and I called her boss. I called her best friend at work. And I just asked, did she show up to work? And both of them said no. And they're like, you know, what happened? We haven't heard from her. And I'm like, I told him what happened. The coroner came and all. And just it was just the nightmare, and I'm just everything stops. And you, when we always make excuses of we got to do this, we got to do that, and we can't stop for a moment for kids or to kiss your wife or whatever or talk to your wife or whatever. But in that moment, like everything stopped. Whatever was on my plate for that evening and going into the next day was just nothing was there. Right? What was what was important was well, obviously my wife and dealing with that and trying to make sense of this whole thing, and then. So I think subconsciously you're starting to, I'm sure I wasn't trying to redefine success at that time, but I know subconsciously things are running through your head, regrets, and there's all this stuff that goes through your head. I don't have another moment to, you know, whether it's fix something in a conflict or do something in the future for us. I had what I had. I can't, I don't have a future with her anymore. And then anything that happened in the past was is gone. It's, I can't change any of that. Then the next morning, when you talk about redefining success, the next morning is when I saw what success really looked like. And the next morning, I knocked on the door and I opened the door and literally the, the door frame created a picture of what success looked like. And it was my family and it was my friends from fourth grade, high school, college, and even my first career, my first job at Coca-Cola. They were all there that next morning, driving six hours from San Jose to be down in Southern California in Pasadena. And Nothing they can say or do would change anything, obviously, and change the emotion. But the fact that they were there was huge. And so I tell this to people, you know, because we always we have a loved one or someone that they have someone that passes away. We want to be there for them or say something. We don't know what to do. It's kind of awkwardness of what do I do? Nothing I can say or do is going to change anything or make them feel better. And so a lot of times we stay away from people when they lose somebody. Um, But the reality is that's when they need people the most. And don't ever think that they don't have time or they're, I know they're processing, which they are. But just being there, being present for people is just does amazing, does wonders. Because then I knew I wasn't alone, right? Because if I'm just, because you never know. And so anyways, all to say is that was a, I think one of the first stages for me of redefining success. And I was always, I always value relationships, but I think obviously in something like this, it kind of hyper-focuses you on what really success looked like. And it was relationships. And I was grateful for the time that I was with my wife because we were actually childhood sweethearts. I met her when I was 12 years old. She was 10. We met at a church camp, grew up together, and she, we started officially dating once I graduated from college. And so there's a storybook thing to this. And then, you know, you're thinker, you're on your way, and then next thing you know, it all stops. How old were you, that, so, how old were you at that time? I was 35. 35. And what was your faith walk? You're, you said you're a preacher's kid, and every time I hear preacher's kid, I think of almost two divergent paths. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to get into this, but one path, and yeah. you brought it up. Y'all yeah. are, at times, family can be secondary to the mission, whatever 
that may be. And it doesn't sound like you went down the total opposite path, but how strong was your faith at that moment that, you know, the coroner was at your door? That's a good question. I know I get asked that quite a bit, especially in the early days, how I got through that period. And it wasn't easy, of course. But my faith was very strong, even though I really wasn't walking with the Lord at that time. So I was one of those PKs that kind of wandered away <laughs> from the flock. And it, I think it comes down to, and I tell entrepreneurs and even and people in ministry, that if you don't invest into your kids' lives, and it doesn't take a lot of time, it's just make sure you check in and say, hey, are you good? When you're, if you're not investing into their relationship and they don't, and your children do not know that you're first, they're first in your life, right? And then people say that, and I said the same thing. I know my dad loves me, and he did. But there is something about paying some attention <laughs> to your kids. And when, when I looked at the church, I looked at the church as that thing that was stopping me from having a really good relationship with my dad. And so that's why PKs, that's why I feel that PKs wander. And not all of them do. But the ones that do, I think a lot of it stems through that, is that it wasn't, they, I, I think I still had a health, even though I wasn't really walking with the Lord at the time, but I still had a healthy view of God. I knew that God existed. And I didn't, I did not confuse God with what my dad was doing. Right? But a lot of PKs and will say that they run away from the faith because their example of who God is was their parents, their dad. And so I've said, that's who God is, and I don't want part of that. And so luckily, I was blessed that I, I did not have that skewed a view of who God was, um, but I know I did drift from the faith because a lot of it was that. And if it wasn't for my own personal, I think, experience with God at a young age at nine years old, where he literally had a Samuel experience where God literally woke me up with an audible voice in bed in the middle of the night, um, and he spoke to me. And if I didn't have that experience, I'm not sure how I would have drifted to the faith. I might, I might have been one of those other, those PKs that really went off the rails. But going back to, so all that to say is, even though I wasn't really walking the Lord, going to church regularly, I still had a grounding in in, in my faith and who God was, had my experience. So I, I could not deny who God was. And so even I was sitting, I remember sitting at my computer that week, starting to write, type out my eulogy, type out the eulogy for the, the service, the funeral. And I just stopped in the middle and I said, okay, I know they said all things work together for the good. And so I said, God, this better be good because right now this just is terrible. And this is about, I've never experienced death on this level, never really experienced any kind of tragedy growing up. And so I'm like, yeah, this next phase better be really good because right now this is terrible. And so I'm just going to have to put my faith that it's going to be good. Um, and so that, that was that moment where I said, okay, I have to trust in God. Because a lot of people in those situations would be mad at God. I don't, a lot of people get upset when we say yeah. they're questioning God. And I, yeah. I've actually come to grips that I don't think it's bad to ask questions. A lot of people go, no, we should <laughs> not ask questions. Yeah. Nah, I think that's okay. But uh, I'm just curious, Robert, because I know from a cultural standpoint, you have uh, Japanese heritage. Obviously, Hawaii is a little bit different culture than definitely where I grew up in the Bible Belt of the South. But were you equipped 
to grieve or to be a good griever or any of that? Or was it like, cover all that up and don't do anything? Because as we get into conversations about the tandem, the book, and how to work with our spouses, a lot of these things are roots on how well we handle things in the future. <laughs> I guess this is me. How, were you a good griever or were you a bad <laughs> griever? Because I'm not a really good griever, I don't think, either. Yeah. Gr- growing up, I wasn't a good griever. I mean, my, they don't teach those kind of things in sermon, apparently, you know, conflict and all that. Um, grieving is hugely important. It's underrated. And it's not even just losing people. I think when you lose a job or you have some bad experience in life in general, there is a grieving process that you have to go through. And too many times because we're growing up to achieve, we just skip over that and say, hey, that's the past and I got to move forward. But you do have to take a moment to, or moments to grieve. And it's okay to, even as you're moving forward, to still grieve. And I certainly did that. And so I don't think I would have been a good griever, but it was actually walking my wife through her grief. In two years, she lost her mom. It was a surprise. Her dad had late-stage prostate cancer, so we thought he was going to go first. Next thing you know, um, her mom has congestive heart failure and dies. It was like it just it was almost immediate within a matter of days. And and then two years later, her dad ends up passing away from cancer. And then six months later, my wife passes away. And so walking my wife through the grieving process, and I've heard of the seven stages of grief and all, it's, it's real. <laughs> we just don't know when and where, how it's going to happen in, in those, and what stage and where, what, it, it's not, the seven stages of grief are not written in like a linear order where this is, these are the stages and these are the exact stages. It's the emotions can be, you know, where they fall in that line of seven is going to be different for everybody. But. For sure, those seven stages of grief are real, and I walked my wife through that, and it was rough. I mean, just even for me helping her, because I I was like, "What's going? You know, what's wrong with you?" It was like, "It's been a year. You know, you should be getting over this." Um, so I even I was that kind of a bad husband in that way, and ultimately, yeah, I said, "Okay, you know, I got this." And so, seeing her and observing those the grief and how and when it happens and all that and what's needed, and so I found that what's needed most when you're grieving like this is to be able to talk. And if you cover it up and try to be the man and be strong and just move forward, um, and so it's like some of the bad, worst advice you can get from people, and I've got it too, is like you just got to keep yourself busy and focus on your business or focus on your career and just move forward. Keep yourself busy. Don't dwell on the emotion. But that's the worst advice. You've got to deal with the emotion. Just like even in conflict as husband and wife or with kids, like whatever emotion's out there, we got to deal with it. Because if we put it under the rug, you're just creating this rumbling of lava in this dormant volcano that eventually is going to erupt. And the problem is when it erupts years later, and you can't connect it with the emotion that's tied to the grief because it's years later. So for me, it was, I might as well deal with the grief now and understand where the grief stems from <laughs> than to deal with it later when I have no clue what's going on because there was moments like six, those six months after my wife passed, I'm driving on the freeway and just, I just break down bawling. I'm, my tears are flowing. I can't see. I have to pull off the freeway. And I wasn't consciously thinking about my wife, but it just came. And it was like, what just happened? And for some people, it might be anger, right? And so anyways, all that to say is you need to be able to deal with these things and have people, whether it's a professional counselor or a pastor, good friends, people that are really authentically willing to listen to you 
just to share and just get it off your chest and for them to be able to empathize. And that was, and for me, so for me, it was witnessing my wife through that. And then I said, okay, I know I need to talk about it. And at the time I was in the pharmaceutical industry, I was in an oncology division. And so my customers were oncologists and cancer doctors and nurses. And so they dealt with this stuff all the time. And so when I, and I took about a month off of work, when I came back to work and I started visiting my offices, there was a handful of them that were like, Robert, how are you? And some of the doctors, even how busy they were, sometimes it's hard to get a moment, but they would see me and they would stop and they'd say, Robert, how are you? But, and the way they said it was like, don't BS me. How are you really doing? <laughs> and if I tried to BS them, especially the nurses, they would pull me into an exam room and just shut the door and say, let's talk. And so they were my therapist, basically. And I thank God for them. It's good to have that. In a recent interview, someone was talking about authentic community and words that keep popping up that I don't, I don't know that I heard if they existed. I didn't hear them years ago. Words like authenticity, vulnerability, empathy, things like that, that uh, unfortunately with some generations, especially with males, they don't really work their way in. But you mentioned Romans eight twenty eight. all things work together. For those that are his children, that may be my translation, not the exact translation. Yeah. And you mentioned that you told God, what's next here? And you were 35 years old and you had lost your wife. So let's fast forward. What is all the things that work together for your good? Because I know some of the rest of the story. So let's move through the some of the rest of the story here. Yeah. As we sit here today, it's a culmination of things and experiences from growing up with my first wife and going through death and all that. And then a year and a half afterwards, after my wife passed, my first wife passed, I wasn't looking for my next wife per se, but I knew I just needed to get out there and meet people. I was new to Southern California. I really didn't have any friends, although I had rekindled some relationships with some of my old church camp friends. They came out because of the funeral and all that. Um, got reconnected with them, the ones that are really here in Southern California. And so spent a lot of time with them, and that, they were a godsend for sure. Um, and then I said, okay, I need to not so much date, but I, you know, I need to get out and just meet people. I just can't just stay in my shell. And I wasn't didn't have expectations about dating. I just said, I just want to go out and meet people. I'm not looking for the one. you know, Because I've also seen the bad of guys like just running into another relationship and try to get married as quick as they can because they can't handle being alone, basically, is what it comes down to. Hey there, this is your host, Tim Winders, and I want to pause this interview for a minute and ask you a question. Are you feeling stuck? Maybe it's in your business, maybe it's in your leadership style, or maybe you just can't put your finger on it. Trust me, I've been there. I'm a faith-driven executive coach, and I can help you get unstuck. How? Well, I bring to the table not just over 30 years of experience, but also a unique blend of skills, like strategic thinking relationship building, and a dash of marketing wizardry. And if you are here, you know I'm not afraid to ask the tough questions. Don't believe I can help you grow? Just ask my clients that tripled their annual gross revenues in two years after coaching with me, or the clients that increased revenue 67% in just a year. So if you're ready to take the next step in your leadership journey, book a free discovery call with me at timwinders.com forward slash coaching. That's timwinders.com forward slash coaching. T-I-M-W-I-N-D-E-R-S dot com forward slash coaching 
Take a look at that page, scroll to the bottom, and you could book a time right on my calendar. Let's unlock your potential together. I look forward to speaking with you. Now, let's get back to Seek Go Create. And so I wasn't that, I wasn't looking for that, but I just was, hey, let's just meet people. And a year and a half afterwards, I met my current wife, Kaylee, and I just, uh, met her on a Christian dating site. And I was actually, um, I wasn't looking for a Christian dating site. I wasn't looking for a dating site really, fair, but I got on my AOL, so I'm dating this process here, <laughs> my AOL account. <laughs> we, may need to explain, I just came across... we may need to explain <laughs> what that is to some people. I just got an email this morning, though, from someone with an AOL account. So, so that still existed. It's apparently still around. Which I um, guess is a little better than a hot, you know, you get Hotmail, AOL, and CompuServe or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I got the spam in my inbox and in my AOL account. It said, meet Christian singles. And again, I told you, I wasn't really walking with the Lord at the time, but I clicked on it, went on the website, and I'm like, okay, so these women look pretty normal. So I was expecting like these Amish address women or something like that. So I don't know what I was expecting. But anyways... Um, and I'm thinking, oh, I, I know my mom would probably like for me to meet a nice Christian woman. So I said, what the heck? So I go on there. Long story short, I met Kaylee. Uh, we converse for a couple of days through the system. And then finally I said, okay, let's want to get on the phone. Um, and then about a week or two later, I said, I'm going to be, she lived an hour from me in Ventura, um, which happened to be part of my sales territory. So I said, hey, I'm going to be out there on Friday. Would you want to get together for dinner? She said, sure. And so we got to dinner and met her and I really had a good time and obviously really good time because we're married 17 years now. And so definitely, you know, she was a good, raised a good Baptist woman. And so she was the person that got me back in, into the church, basically. And she didn't push, um, but she slowly weaved some things in. Will you pray for the meal? And I said, sure, what the heck? <laughs> and then um, as things got more serious and I would either be out there for the weekend or she'd be out here. So if I was out in Ventura, she says Sunday we should go to church. So we would go to church with her, her church. And then uh, when we got engaged and she, we decided that she was going to move out to Pasadena, she said, okay, we need to find a home church. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is getting serious, right? So long story short, we landed on our current church, Harvest Rock Church here in Pasadena. And, and then, all of a sudden, you know, we get married, and the next thing you know, we should get involved with a small group because we need to meet people. I'm like, all right. So I was getting a little more uncomfortable. I'm like, so anyways, so we got involved with a small group. And then she's like, oh, we, I think we should start our own small group. I'm like, what? That's, that's so No, it'd be great. So I'm like, okay. So I started leading a small group. And then little by little, I'm getting more and more involved with the church. And then this is over, what? three, four years now. So it's not happening quickly, but she's like, you see how Kaylee's acting. She kind of weaves some things in. And then, and then the church announced that, Hey, we're going to, we're going to Israel for the first time. And so our pastor is going to lead us trip to Israel. And Kaylee's like, Oh, that's been on my bucket list. I'm like, really? I'm like, okay. So we go to Israel. And then we got, we got to get baptized at the Jordan river, which I think that's what church groups do when they go to Israel. You got to get baptized in the Jordan. Interesting story with that was I wasn't going to get baptized because I said, oh, I've done that before. I've been baptized. And the whole group is going to get baptized. So it's for me and the pastor's wife. So we were in this, they had this amphitheater set up at the Jordan, come out commercialized, but there's these two amphitheaters. And so we're in one. And so as everybody's going to get baptized, me and the pastor's wife, we decided we're staying back. So we're going to watch all the stuff. 
And so it was one, it was interesting that when we, there was nobody at, nobody there. Like we were the only group there. And like we pulled in the parking lot and there was no cars in the parking lot. And I'm thinking, is this open? And so usually, and the, the tour guy will tell you, like, usually it's just, like I said, it's pretty commercialized. So it's, it's crowded. And there's one group after another just waiting to get in to be baptized. I'm looking at everybody getting ready to be baptized. And we even had a worship service. <laughs> That's how long we were there without having anybody interrupt us. So as I'm watching everybody get in line to get baptized, and I see my wife down there alone, uh, you know, without me, I'm thinking, I probably should get baptized with my wife. And so I really feel as God's way of holding the crowds back so I can come to my senses and get down there and get baptized with my wife. And that was the first time I committed myself to the Lord on my terms, not because I was a PK and because it was an expectation as a pastor's kid. And it, that, and I'll just pause there because that, all that, say, that culmination of things, that just shifted things in my own life, in my relationship with God, and just set a stage for what the next phase of my life, my career, what I'm doing now is. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. And it really is obvious, especially as you tell the story, that God brought her to you. And I did have this vision while you were telling the story of Robert almost with a hook in his mouth and just being pulled along, led, guided, I'm sure. I'm not, you weren't probably kicking and screaming, but you know, I was just, I was just praying this morning. I was saying, Lord, lead me down the path that you would have me to go and steer me away from the path that you would have me to stay away from or close doors and things like that. And to me, that is just so, I mean, listen, I don't think anybody would be excited about losing a spouse, but then we have to look at all things, you know, in that scripture and the, not even the completion of the story, the rest of the story, because the story's still being written along yeah. the way. And, and I, you know, we've, I've, I've met Kaylee once and it's y'all are beautiful couple with obviously a heart to do something that is very unique and I think challenging in the culture that we're in. And so I guess the question I have now is how did y'all then get into this, what I call a mission, I, don't, I think that's the way I'll term it too, this mission of not just business and not consulting and not just helping people with marketing and all these things. Because I know she has a background, her family was business people mm. also, so she also feels the, you know, the, the tension, being the, being the mistress of a <clears throat> business owner or pastor's kid <laughs> mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But so how did y'all then move into what you're doing now? What was the thing that led you, it seems like there was just this path that was being laid out for you. Yeah, for sure. So I like to say, like a lot of people want, they want to know God's will in their life, of course, and they want to know the big picture. They want to know, what do you have for me? And for me, well, I always say, you better be careful what you wish for, because like sometimes if he reveals the whole thing, you can't handle it or you're going to try to run away. And so for me, you know, it's always about following breadcrumbs. Even just the story with Kaylee, it's like this following one step after another. And it's not looking too far ahead. I'm just like following the next step. And so that's what happened even to where we are now was in, in our church, we got introduced to this concept. I don't know if Lauren Cunningham and Bill Bright years ago had this same, the same dream or vision about the seven mountains of culture and how we are influenced and discipled by these seven mounds in culture, which are like the business and arts and entertainment, even religion and government, education. There's all these seven spheres that together they really disciple 
form our culture. And so it was all about, hey, wherever you're called, wherever God's called you in these spheres, you want to be an influence, a positive influence in that area. So we can turn the tide instead of arts and entertainment inundating us with some really bad stuff, right? How about if we influence that to have a positive message? You know, it's not so much just about evangelizing people, but it's about just discipling people the right way when God calls. So I started thinking about, okay, what's my next step? Am I supposed to stay in this corporate environment or is it supposed to be doing something different? So I started entertaining the idea of having a business, which I never entertained before because my dad just said, get a job, <laughs> basically get a good job. And so I never, never had an entrepreneurial mindset, but Kaylee actually, when we were dating said, oh, I can see you having a business. And so I think that planned to see, and so I started thinking about that and I was like, okay, hey, what would it be? So I checked off, I had a list of all these different types of industries and I checked up all of them and said, nope, nope. <laughs> and so I said, well, you know, my background's in marketing, so why don't I do some marketing consulting with different businesses and maybe I'll find something that I like. Well, it turns out I really like just consulting. I really enjoyed helping family businesses succeed because you see the impact it has on their life, their family, and their employees in a different level than it is when I'm just working for a corporation and I'm just really trying to keep the shareholders happy, right? <laughs> We're just trying to keep the shareholders happy. It's totally, totally different impact. And I see it on more of a personal level when I'm helping small family business. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go down this road. And then my pastor got, had this ministry school. And then they asked me to create kind of a kingdom business curriculum to, to launch with the school. And I'm thinking, okay, I never had a business, but I know how to train. I've done some sales training and all that. I understand that process. And so Long story short, we got in, we got connected with an organization called Nehemiah Project that had a kingdom business curriculum all written. I took the course and they licensed it out. So I said, hey, why don't we just license this thing out instead of tr me trying to recreate something or create something that's that's already here. So started doing that for about six years, led that um, course. And so that started me down more of the trail of really helping small family business. And that was more from a kingdom perspective. And then... Um, six years ago, so I said, this is where it's at. And so six years ago or seven years ago, I left my corporate job to consult full-time with small family business. And then in the midst of that, as you're, you really get to know the owners, the clients a little bit better, they start opening up about their personal life. And then one owner after another started talking about their marriage. And so I started looking, seeing the trend and the connection that their stress of trying to grow this business was affecting their home life, not in a good way. And they're so all in trying to do this business that their marriage, their family was suffering. And I'm like, hey, why are you doing that? Because I started going that, that same path myself when I was working full time and starting to launch my consulting career. I was working until 2 a.m. until I finally stopped and said, wait, this is crazy because by the time I hit the weekend, I'm dead. And I, I'm with my wife. I'm with Kaylee physically, but I'm not present. I'm exhausted. And so I'm sitting at my desk at like 1 a.m. one night, and I'm like, Lord, I don't think this is your best. I understand the sacrifice that has to be made to transition, but even within the transition, I don't believe that sacrificing quality time with Kaylee is what I'm supposed to do. I don't think that's your best. But I, so I'm falling into the trap that every other entrepreneur or even people in are were doing was, going all in and say, I'm going to sacrifice my family life um, while I grow this thing. And so I, I couldn't change the fact that I had to work outside of the full-time job to do this, but I said, okay, what don't I, 
at least instead of going to bed at 2 a.m., when I, what about 11 a.m. or 11 p.m.? That's three hours a night I get back. And over the course of a week, that's a big, and I can be functional, more than functional by the weekend. And so creating that boundary allowed me to reassess what I was doing in the business and what was really important versus what was just taking up time. We get, we get so busy. And a lot of that busy work is not productive work. And so I really started looking at what is really productive versus not and really started to carve this thing out. And so I was able to get to bed by 11, sometimes 1030. And then I made sure that even after I went full-time in the business, I didn't backfill it with, you know, getting used to working until 1030. I want to make sure I wasn't working until 1030, even when I didn't have my full-time job. And so all that to say that experience, and as and we also, Kaylee and I went through counseling um, before we got married, two years of counseling. I know you, you read the book. We went to counseling for two years before we got married and help us develop tools to do conflict better, just to be able to do issues. And so all that to say, all the culmination of stuff was like, I started really helping my clients with conflict and saying, hey, how do we do this business better? How do we make sure that you can still focus on family and you can still grow this business? But let's focus on family first. So that's kind of a little bit of the story of how we got here, just the rabbit trails uh, or the trail, the breadcrumbs of just one thing after another led me to say, hey, there's an issue here that nobody's really dealing with. And I think people are just accepting this status quo of focusing your time and energy on the business and whatever's left over the family gets. And then maybe when we get the business to a certain level, then we'll be able to live life, have better work-life balance and all that. And I'm here to say that it doesn't matter how size of, how big the revenue is or the size of your bank account or your net worth, people still struggle with work-life balance, regardless of how much money they have and how much time they could have if they were really wanting to do it. I think the struggle of being present in the now is something that entrepreneurs, business people struggle with, that maybe it's a little bit easier if you work for someone else in another environment. Maybe it's not. I don't know. There could be people that struggle with that. Anyway, I know I had that. I was interviewing someone recently, and they said that they had an addiction to tomorrow. Yeah. And I think my addiction was to more, just yeah. whatever it was, more. Hey, if I could work till 1 a.m., you know what? I could probably do 132. And we've got these conflicting structures, the world system, which says hustle and and go at it and things like that. And then, like you mentioned, the kingdom, which basically says be at rest, be at peace. There's something called a Sabbath and things like that. that the one commandment we all violate. <laughs> The only one? We don't put is it up there. The, with, only one? <laughs> the one that we are easy, it's the easiest one to violate because there's no like, it's not thou shalt not kill. There's no these ramifications. Right? It's more of a personal issue, but it also has actual relational issues too. But it's the one we can easily violate, right? And unfortunately, our culture rewards that hustle because you probably had people that were telling you, man, oh, yeah, you got to pay the price. You got to you stay up. You're building your own company, you're building your own business. You got to do all these things. And that's kind of where we find ourselves. Let's, before we get too much farther though, I wanted to kind of, you mentioned, you know, family, family, small family business. So I'd like to define that in just a second, just to make sure we understand. But I'd also like for you in the same kind of conversation to, to let me know what's your balance right now? Because I know you do consulting for people that are in business and then that started opening up doors for you to do conversations about marriage relationships and a lot of the books and the resources you have now are for married couples in that situation. But what's the ratio right now of, I don't want to say just business people, 
versus working with married couples? What, first of all, define small family business. What is that niche for you guys? And how do you define it? I've got a definition that I use for what I, for the people I work with. And then how much is like marriage work, probably almost all of it, because it all relates. And then how much would you say is just like hardcore actual business growth and business work? I follow the SBA, the Small Business Administration definition of small business, which is $500 million in revenue, 500 employees and less. But our, most of our clients are doing well less than that, less than $10 million a year in revenue. And so we, yeah, all our, our focus is primarily all marriage and business. So they're business owners that are married and they have the tension of sometimes they're working together too. A lot of times they're working together. Most of our clients are working together. So they feel the tension of business, working together, conflict, teamwork issues, all that. There's, it's all wrapped in run and there's no separation of those things, right? And that's been the problem. The clients that come to us do say, oh, you're a breath of fresh air because there really is no separation between business and marriage and family issues. They all affect the other, but you can only get help on one side or the other, whether it's marriage counseling or business coaching or consulting, right? But never the two shall meet, never the two shall meet. And so they'll tell us, a lot of times they'll tell us like, yeah, we get marriage help, but they really can't empathize what's going on in the business. And then if we have a business consultant, they really can't empathize what's going on in the marriage. And so we get these, and sometimes we get these good advice for one aspect of life, but it also conflicts with the other aspect of life. So, but we understand business and we have a heart for the family. And we understand those two dynamics and how much tension there can be because only about six point, only about 6% of the population are married and have a business, right? It's about 9% of, of the population have a business and about 70% 70, 70 of them are married. And so very few people can understand the tension that goes along with being and having business, whether you work together or not, there's not many people that can understand and empathize with that. And so having someone that understands that <laughs> and can help them navigate those two parts of your lives um, is refreshing. So yeah, it's, it's all marriage and business basically. And how much, how much of our time is spent on one or the other, it's, it gets blurred too. Cause sometimes we're talking about business issues, but then some relational conflict issue comes up, which is important because that's part of the, that's part of the reason why their business is getting stagnant because they can't make a decision to move things forward. So anyways, hope that answers your question. There used to be, <laughs> there used to be this joke that we had years ago. I was in a, in an MLM business and one of the, one of the jokes, or it was actually a principle that we talked about was if you go speak to someone, make sure you speak with both the husband and wife. That way you'll be guaranteed to have the decision maker. And I know that even though let's just use a traditional, and I know that we're not in necessarily a traditional world much anymore, but traditionally a male is out as the head of the business and the female may be working in some type of role. It is interesting. We can talk about some of the roles that we sometimes pigeonhole people into just because of tradition. Yeah. But even if let's just say the spouse isn't there I do know that spouse has decision-making over whoever that leader or that person is, but that's fascinating to me. What are, and the book does a great job, we'll talk about the book here in just a moment, but what are some of the biggest issues that you see, top one, two, three, whatever, related to business owners 
that are also either working with or they're or they're, they're married because I, I don't really separate off. I think if you're going into the same office together every day, there might be certain things there. I mean, for those that are watching the video here, I'm in the main room of our RV and my wife and I are here with about 400 square feet and we are business owners and we are together almost 24-7. This is our quote unquote air quotes here office. But just what are some of the top two or three things that you see and we'll may try to address those here before we wrap up and let people know how they can get some more resources. The top two or three things that what? That are the challenges for people that are married, entrepreneur, business owner. What are the big ones that you see? So number one, the first one's always communication, conflict resolution. Shocking. It's always that. Yeah. That's what creates the tension in the relationship is you're just not able to resolve an issue, right? And there's two different viewpoints and we just can't come to agreement. And so whether it's an issue in your personal life or the business, and like I said, even if the spouse isn't working the business, but they're having some input in what they're seeing their spouse going through in the business. And sometimes they're, they're clashing on these differences. And it's like, especially the spouse that's running the business, a lot of times they will disregard what their spouse is saying because, oh, you don't really know the business because you're not part of it. And so because of that, they disregard what the, I'm just going to say wife, because I'll just use my own example, what the wife has to say, because, oh, you don't know. And so the problem is they know more than you think, and they don't have to know the intricacies of the business, but they have a knowing and a feeling and discernment, whatever you want to call it, about what you should be doing or not doing. Say like what people you should be involved with. So that and really valuing each other's opinions and not just poo-pooing it and knowing how to listen and then come to agreement. And and especially like whenever we have disagreements or conflict, you know, we always want, we're trying to talk the other person into seeing your viewpoint. We're always trying to, we wish that the, your spouse would change, be different, act differently, talk different, whatever. And you know, the scripture about pulling the plank out of your own eye, so you can see the speck is your side. I mean, the first rule of engagement is on the comp communication conflict resolution issue when we come with a new client is you make the change, not your spouse. You can't control her or him. You can't change her and him. Nobody can change her and him except God and themselves. But you can change yourselves and the way you react, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you react to your spouse. And how you do those things can totally change the dynamic with the issue for good or better. The way we react to our spouse, if we overreact, it creates an emotional negative response in our spouse and she's going to, or he's going to react negatively to you as well. And so anyways, you know, the communication conflict resolution issues, number one, and then two is then you got to take account for what you're doing and what yours, what you lend into this argument, disagreement, this conflict, and what can you do to change yourself, not to change the other person. So that's, those are the top two. I mean, those two things alone will help you in marriage and business, period. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to your spouse, because I've had a couple, two, three times where you know, it was a financial decision. I think it was a real estate issue, whatever. I ran all the numbers. I don't think we we're married yet. And Kaylee had a feeling. She said, I don't feel good about this. I don't like, and then, oh, yeah, yeah, you don't understand. I ran the numbers. This is all good. It blew up. <laughs> It cost us six figures or cost me six figures at the time. Well, it really cost us six figures because she married me. And so I'm like, you know what? After, so after, I didn't listen after the first time, but after the second time, I'm like, you know what? I should probably listen when she has a feeling. 
That intuition, <laughs> I agree with you. I actually wrote it down here on my notepad that intuition is something that, you know, we hate to generalize here, but it seems as if men are lacking in that area and women are much more in tune. I don't want to say that wholesale because they're, you know, I'm trying to have better intuition, but I'm kind of like you. It's like, ah, the numbers are good and I believe in people and everybody's good and all that kind of stuff. And we had a situation with a partner that we never could meet. I like going out and meeting, taking my wife and meeting with someone before we do business, especially if it's, we're going to partner on some big projects. And the guy's wife never was able to meet with us. And it was bothering me, but we kept going ahead. And before we knew it, kind of working together and all in bed together in business and stuff like that. And it did not end well, Robert. And my wife kept saying, I don't know. I don't have a good feeling about it. We should be able to meet his wife along the way. And sure enough, today yeah. he's, we're not definitely not working together. Cost probably seven figures if we really did the math. Mm. And also he's no longer with his wife and things like that. Mm. So it's uh, intuition. Yes. Now, one of the things that I loved, I just finished reading Tandem, the book. And first of all, I had a grasp what the name meant. I'll let you explain the name in just a little while was that it really went back and forth between some theory and then some hardcore, like, practical stuff. There were a couple of lists, and I might be getting these wrong. We got it pulled up here, but I don't have that exact page, where there were, like, seven ways to avoid having conflict and then nine ways to handle conflict once you deal with it. I may have the numbers off or something like that, but <laughs> extremely good practical stuff that, to me, I think are good for married people as well as business people, leaders, because most of these things apply in both situations. But what do you want to say about the book Tandem? At what point did y'all decide we need to put some of this wisdom in a book? That was a little bit of an evolution, too. I mean, I didn't want to write a book. People had asked us early on oh, as we were doing the work we're doing, so, oh, you should write a book. I know that's too much work. <laughs> but it got to a point where, again, the reason why we got into this you know, I'm a market to market researcher at heart. And so I see a need and I go, I think we should have filled this. Not thinking of the ramifications of this. I'm like writing up the stuff and I'm like, we're dealing with marriage issues. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Kaylee's the one that loves this marriage stuff. Um, I'm the one that can put it to paper. Um, anyways, when we first started doing this, really focusing on married entrepreneurs, I was like, okay, we need to scale this because there's a lot of married entrepreneurs that need this help. Because I said, I didn't see any resources out there that specifically dealt with both issues. And so that's also why we started a podcast was, hey, this is one way to get the message out. Because we know we can only help so many clients at a time. I mean, as much as we want to grow our business, regardless, even if we have 100 consultants under our belt, we can still only have help so many people. And so as we're growing, in the meantime, what can we do? And one of them was the podcast. And the second one did come, you know, we really should write the book. We're going to write a collaborative book with different experts to write in each chapter. And then we had a meeting with this couple that we've been talking, Kaylee and I talked. We got to reach back out to them and thank them because they saw what we're doing. They wanted us to be a, a collaborate on a chapter in their book. And then they said, first, they said, have you written a book yet? And we're like, no. They're like, no, you should, your first book should be your book. I'm like, we're like, really? And they just started talking. I'm like, Oh, makes sense. I mean, we should set the tone. I mean, it's our message. I mean, anyway, so all that to say is 
um, they, that couple, and they're in Arizona, I've got to find their names now and reach out to them, but um, they're the ones that really got us thinking about, yeah, I guess we should write this book. Yeah, and so that's where it started. And really the heart behind it is just to get his hand in as many people as possible, in many couples as possible. And there's a workbook that's built into that too. There's a QR code in the chapter. And so you can download a workbook. And so there's videos and stuff. And so we built it as a multi-purpose use. And we even thought, hey, you can use it because someone asked us on our book tour, hey, could we use this as a like a group study? And I'm like, yeah, it's built for that. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I don't care. <laughs> if you want us involved, fine. We're here. But if not, go for it. We don't, we're not holding tight to this. It's not. And I, like I tell Kaylee, I said, what we put in this book is nothing new. All this information's out there. We kind of packaged it, right? There's nothing new under the sun. We just, it's just the way you package things. And so we just happened to package it in a way that we feel could really help the married entrepreneur just do life and business better. And the, the big thing that I get from that, and my wife and I talk about this, Corey and I talk about this quite often is that we really do, especially in that relationship, have to take our eyes off ourselves and do the best we can to study our spouse, partner, life partner, intimate partner, all of that. And there's a couple sections where I love that y'all go through strength finders, disc, five love languages. To me, I think three of the best assessments to learn about yourself and also learn about your partner, spouse, and I just think you guys did a great job with it. Tell me about you. the name Tandem. That's kind of unique. And then I got a couple of questions as we wrap up here. That came, I have to give credit to my mastermind group. And so it was about two to three months. We're about to finish the manuscript and we're, I think we're at the editing phase and I'm like, I need a title. We had a working title, but I knew that wasn't the one. It was, it was my turn to be in the hot seat that this next day. And I'm like, what do I want to present with them? And I'm like, most of them, they're all kind of marketers in their own right. And some of them are copywriters. The, the head of the group is this really master copywriter and did work for John Maxwell and some big names, right? And so title, I said, I just said, I need a title. You know what we do. You understand a little bit about the book. I'm like, I need a title. And then somebody threw out tandem. And then everybody started throwing all these analogies and metaphors around tandem because obviously it's the book is for married entrepreneurs. So it's two people. <laughs> doing life and business together. So tandem. And then obviously the imagery with the tandem bike. And then when the guys in the group say, oh yeah, you can, we have a, my wife and I have a tandem bike. We only wrote it once. So you can write a book. There's a story behind that. <laughs> and I'm just laughing. And I just started laughing. And I'm like, all right guys, time out real quick. Yes, this is the title. Because when we go to the beach, a lot of times, inevitably there's someone, a couple riding on the tandem bike going by and Kaylee's like, oh, we should get on a tandem bike. And I'm like, no, that's not a good idea. She's like, why? She's like, because I don't know exactly where I would seat you in the front or the back. Because you know how you like to get distracted. You don't want to pay attention to what's in front of you. You want to pay attention to everything else that's going around. And we're at the beach, which means you're going to be looking at everything but what's in front of you. So I can't put you in the front. If you go in the back, you're probably not going to be pedaling. <laughs> And so anyways, so I'm going to be doing a lot of, it's going to be a lot of effort for me. So anyways, it's this kind of running joke that between her and I. And so of course, when I came up with the tandem thing, I said, oh yeah, that's got to be it because there's so many life and marriage lessons. If you've never been on a tandem bike, try it as husband and wife, because there's definitely some conflict that arises <laughs> that can arise on a tandem bike. We, we haven't done a tandem bike, but I just had this vision of us when we went 
canoeing one time. We were up in Whistler oh, in go. Canada, okay. and we went canoeing. And my thought was, I'm going to sit in the back, and I'll just brute force and all. And we, there were other people with us that were just kind of like in a work situation. They didn't know each other. And we were horrible. We were horrible. And it was all my... <laughs> Glory can probably hear this. She's in the back of the RV. It was almost all my fault because my thought was, I don't want her to have to work too hard. You know, she could just kind of steer up front. I'm just going to, which doesn't work in canoeing. It probably doesn't work in biking either. No, not in town bike either. Great name there. Hey, Robert, give me some other resources. I know you've got the podcast, Power Couple, Power Couple, and you've got the book. Tell us about all the resources you guys have and where to find you. And then I've got one more question as we wrap up here before we finish the podcast. Yeah, thanks. To, just, just go to our website, marriedentrepreneur.co. And Kaylee is always like, why did you pick the word entrepreneur? I can't spell it. It's I was going to go, we'll try to conclude the spelling down in the links. I go, just Google it. Just Google it. <laughs> Google how to spell entrepreneur. It'll correct you. AI will correct you anyway. And so right there, you can then you'll get be able to connect right to our podcast, Power Up Your Marriage and Business. It's also on all the podcast players. Um, you can follow us on social, Power Couples by Design on both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can just look me up on LinkedIn as well. Just Robert Fakui, F, F as in Frank, U-K-U-I, for those of you that are not, don't see my name up there, but in the show notes. But those are ways you can follow us. And of course, on our website, we've got all our digital resources as well, links to the book and all that. So that's the best way. I listened to a number of episodes. I was traveling. We were traveling from Colorado down here to Southern Utah last week and I listened to about three or four episodes. Great compliment. I think it's a great compliment to what we're doing here for those folks that are married, entrepreneurs in business. Robert, we are seek, go create those three words. Last question. I'll let you pick one of those words over the other two. Seek, go or create. Which yeah. one do you choose and why? I think I'd have to go with create. And and why why was my why is that my answer? I never thought of myself as much of an innovator or creative. And so Kaylee would say, because I'm not, I'm more analytical by nature and all that. You know, you don't think of analytic, analytical like accountants and engineers as creative, but you really are. And so as I've walked out this journey of being in business, looking at the need that's out there and developing something from thing, developing from something that's not really out there. And having that boldness to go and try something that no one's really doing, I've really latched onto that. I really, I've, it's really brought me to life. And so even for you listening, you don't, even if you were like me that don't think you're creative, you absolutely are. We all see things and we all can react to things. But a lot of times we don't act on our impulse to create something because we think it's too risky. We think we don't have what it takes to do it and succeed at it. And let me tell you, all we are all, we're all, we're built, we're created in God's image. And so we have all the aspects of the DNA of God. Some ratios of certain aspects of DNA is more than others, but we all have the ability to create something. And so I really, my encouragement really is if you see a need and if you probably have the self-doubt of that you can do this, go for it because God's doesn't put you in a position to see things and not have given you the experience and the skill and gifts to do it. I think we just hold ourselves back. And I was one of those because I'm not a risk taker by nature. And 
But as I've done it and sort of start doing, you'll figure it out, right? And especially if you're married, you have your spouse to help you out and you always have God and you always have people around you that can help you. I think the big mistake that we do as entrepreneurs, just like your canoe story, is we try to do it on our own. So that's the big mistake of why we're not able to do things. So as you see things, see a need, go create it, but don't try and do it on your own. Surround yourself with the right people that can help you put this thing into action and move it forward. I'm very similar. I have had an engineering background that I didn't think I was creative. And you know what? I was wrong and I'm okay admitting that. Robert, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been awesome. If you're listening in, get the book Tandem. I recommend that. We'll have some links down below if you're either watching this on YouTube or listening in. And then I think you should go check out Power Up, their podcast. If you're listening via podcast, great time to just jump out right now as we finish here and go subscribe and listen in over there. I think it'll be some great wisdom for you. We are Seek, Go, Create. We have new episodes every Monday. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be. (laughs) 